Well, good morning. Thank you for being here today. I told my wife, I said, you know, I, I've thought about changing my message to preaching about the flood. I mean, think about this. Uh, we've had torrential rain now for, what, two or three days. Imagine what it would have been like to have that kind of rain, or even worse, for 40 days and 40 nights, and it just doesn't let up. Uh, so there's a powerful lesson there. Maybe you need to study that in your own quiet time, and that would be a powerful reminder to, for you. Uh, but last Sunday, we began a series called Made for Each Other. Uh, and last week, we looked at the fact that there is a, a oneness that occurs when man and a woman marry. Now, when you look at the very first marriage between Adam and Eve, uh, it, it's a it's fascinating study. And what we talked about last week, it's, it's almost as if they were made for each other. Which, in fact, they were, of course, right? They were actually made for each other. But we spend our lifetime... Many folks spend a lifetime looking for that person who was made for us. Now, when you think about Adam and Eve, it's like, well, that was easy. Adam didn't have a whole lot to choose from. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't hard for him to find the right person to marry. But now we've got a, a little bit harder situation, don't we? We've got a l- few more choices than he did, which brings up an actual question and an interesting question. Has God made someone just for us? I mean, He did for Adam, right? He made Eve for Adam and brought Eve to Adam. And it brings up the question, has God made someone just for us? Or do we have some latitude in who we choose? I told you last week that it feels like, it it feels like that Lisa and I were just made for each other, that that we love each other, but there's something deeper than that. It, it feels like we were actually made for each other. But I was thinking this week about the fact that what if she had not gone to Carson Newman College? She was looking at four or five other colleges during that time. She's from Maryland, and, but she thankfully chose Carson Newman. That's where we met. But what if she had not gone to Carson Newman? I never would have met her. And I guess I'd still be looking for that person. I'd still be looking for her. If, in fact... There's one person that we were made for. And so I'm going to come back to that a little bit later in the message. But this morning, I want to focus on that question. It's a very important question. How do you find the right person to marry? Now, you probably haven't had a lot of messages like this before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this. But I think it is a very critical message that we share. Let me tell you specifically who this message is for. First of all, it's for anyone who is dating or plans to date. You know, those who are 18 or 19, those who are in their 20s or 30s, and you're dating or plan to date, uh, this message is for you. It's also for anyone who is engaged. Before you say, I do, you need to make sure you're saying it to the right person. So this is a good message for you. This message is also for parents and grandparents. Because you've got a child or a grandchild, perhaps, who is dating. And especially if you have concerns about the person that they're dating. And, and finally, this message is for anyone who knows someone who might be about to make a mistake. Uh, they can't see it, but you can. They, you, you recognize that they're probably not marrying the right person. They can't see that, but... You can. They're not here, but you are. So maybe you need to share some of the things we'll be talking about today uh, with them. 
And if you don't fit into any of those categories, that's who the message is for. And I recognize some of you don't fit into any of those categories. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to say, thank God he's not going to be on my toes today. I could just relax and maybe pray for those who need this message. So the question is this one. How do you marry the right person? Let me state the obvious. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And from the way that the divorce rates keep climbing, it seems that there are an awful lot of people who are going about it the wrong way. And then there's some who go about it in a very unique way. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of of being at a conference at Moody Bible Institute. He was speaking there, speaking on marriage. And during that conference, in a breakout session, kind of a break in the session rather, a lady wrote him a note. He got the note and he read it. And this is what it said. She said, I didn't worry about getting married. I I did leave my future to God's will. But every night, listen to this. This is wisdom, ladies, listen. Every night, I hung a pair of men's pants on the bed and knelt down and prayed this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant it if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) let, Let me... Now, now, let me say that slowly so you can write that down. Some of you need to get that word for word. No. He, he said that he just loved the note, and he took it back to his church, and he read it to his, to his entire church the next Sunday. He said he noticed that when he read it, that there was a man and his son there, and they were just belly laughing. They just loved it. But he noticed that the wife wasn't there. She was home with the sick daughter, and she wasn't there, and apparently didn't hear about the note, because he said a few weeks later, I got a letter from that lady who was not in the service. And here's what she wrote. Dear Chuck, I'm wondering if I have something to worry about. I've noticed that our son, when he goes to bed at night, has this bikini hanging on the end of the bed. (laughs) So guys, there you go. I'm trying to help you make it as practical as I can. I suppose that's one way to find the right person to marry, but in case that one doesn't work for you, Uh, Let me give you another way that's based on Scripture. Here it is in a nutshell. Listen carefully. God created you in a trinity of body, soul, and spirit. And if you want a marriage that is to be all that God intends it to be, find someone who can be united to you on all three of those levels. Body, soul, and spirit. You see, if you, ma- if you marry someone who is a match for you on one of those levels, or maybe even on two of those levels, you're setting yourself up for something less than God intended. I believe there's scriptural evidence that Adam and Eve were united on all three levels. All three, what we might call levels of intimacy. And I want to show you that as we work our way through the text. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2, going back to the text we were in last Sunday. Genesis chapter 2. The first level where there needs to be a match is the physical level. Marriage is a union of body with body. And that is an important part of the marriage relationship. The physical or sexual union of a man and a woman is designed by God to be an essential part 
of the marriage, and you see this in the very first marriage of Adam and Eve. Look with me as we begin reading in verse 21, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. I told you last Sunday, I love that phrase, he brought her to the man. Verse 23, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. I have read this passage now for a couple of weeks and I have dealt with it and thought about it and meditated on it and, and, and I, I, I just got to say what I've uh, alluded to last week and what I've thought about this week is I wonder what Adam's thoughts were when God brought Eve to him. I mean, I'm not trying to be crude, but he had been looking at a bunch of animals. And all of a sudden he sees something he's never seen before. God brings someone into his life he has never seen before, and she's standing there in all of his, her natural beauty. And he's looking at her, and I, I'm sorry, there's, he probably said in Hebrew, whoa, that's awesome. Because he's seen all these animals, and that's all he's seen, and now all of a sudden, there's this woman, and I really believe, I don't think I'm misreading the Scripture I think it is safe to say that there was a physical attraction between Adam and Eve. In fact, I believe that verse 24 hints at that physical attraction. Because it says that they became one flesh. There was something that drew him to her. There was something that drew her to him. It doesn't just mean that they got married. It meant that there was a union of body to body. And in fact, Moses later, when he writes about this, offering commentary says that there was such a a natural physical attraction between Adam and Eve that it would, he says, and from this day forward, basically, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. In other words, there will be such a physical attraction, he will be willing to leave his family in order to go be united to his wife. That's the type of physical attraction we're talking about. And in verse 25, it hints at it again when it says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. See, if you want to marry the right person, listen carefully. The first step is the easy part. If you want to marry the right person, find someone that you are physically attracted to. That's the easy part, right? You know, when I first met Lisa, I'm going to be honest with you. When I first met Lisa, I did not say, this is going to disappoint some of you, but when I first met Lisa, I did not say, my, she will make a wonderful pastor's wife. (laughs) That was not in my mind. When I saw her, I said what Adam said, whoa, she's beautiful. There was that physical attraction that I had for her. But listen carefully, if the marriage is based solely on the physical attraction, if it is a marriage of body to body alone, and it's not a soul to soul marriage or a spirit to spirit marriage, 
then it will be a weak marriage and likely one day could head for divorce. If all it is is, is a physical marriage, it one day probably will head for divorce. I mean, have you been watching the news lately? This has been a summer of celebrity divorce. I don't know if you've kept up with the last two or three months, but there have been so many celebrities that have gotten divorced. I mean, let me give you a partial list. Ben and Jen, Gwen and Gavin, Miranda and Blake, Reba and Narvel, even Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog are splitting. I'm serious, they are. Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog are splitting. Of course, I don't understand how there was ever a physical attraction there to begin with, did you? And that's just in the last few months. Just in the last few months, there's been so many celebrity divorces. Because see, listen, listen, listen. When the glamour wears off, when there's nothing more than just that physical relationship, to sustain the relationship, then the relationship will either end in a divorce or an affair or both. A better option is to look for someone where there can also be a a deeper intimacy, a union of soul to soul. That's the second aspect of finding the right person to marry. First step is find somebody where where there's a physical attraction, body to body. But but secondly, find someone where there is an attraction, a union of soul to soul. Your soul is the person inside of your body. It's your mind, it's your nature, it's your emotions, it's your personality. Your soul, if I can put it this way, your soul is what makes you, you. Alright, now this is very, very important. Your soul is what makes you, you. A marriage that involves the union of souls is a marriage where the couple shares common interest in things. Where they have some things in common, where they enjoy the same things. They have common interests, they have common goals, they have common values. Which leads to the question, well, was Adam and Eve's marriage a marriage of soul to soul? I think so. And I think I can show you that in verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, notice this next word, I will make a helper suitable for him. So many things we could talk about in that verse. God set out to make, he said, a, a helper. Some translations say a partner. Other translations say a companion. I will make a helper. I will make a partner. I will make a companion for Adam. A helper, a partner, a companion, meaning that, that they have some commonality. There are some things that they have in, in common. Since Adam and Eve were brought together since Eve was literally created for Adam. I think it, it's not very hard to imagine they probably were ideally suited for each other. And I think the text hints at that when he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. In fact, I would say to you today, they probably had more things in common than any other couple who's ever lived. They, they probably had such a perfect union of soul to soul. And here is where a lot of young ladies and young men make a mistake. And I want you to listen very carefully. Sometimes young ladies or young men want to get married so badly that they overlook the faults and the incompatibilities of their future partners. They want to get married so badly that they overlook the things they know they ought not overlook. Let me give you an example. Uh, This is just uh, something uh, as an illustration. Perhaps a Christian young lady 
meets this guy and, and there's that definite physical attraction. But as far as soul to soul, there are some problems there. For example, perhaps he's a guy that kind of likes to party a little bit. He likes to drink, uh, he may occasionally smoke pot or do something like that. And, but she's not into that. She doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke pot. And she knows that that's not going to be a good union for her. She knows that they are not compatible in that area. That they don't have that, in, in, that's, that common interest. But if she wants to get married so bad, she will marry him with the hope. Watch this. She'll marry him with the hope that he'll probably stop that when we get married. He'll probably be different when we get married. I'm going to say something to you. Listen carefully. Saying I do does not solve problems, it magnifies them. Just because you say I do to somebody doesn't mean they're going to be a different person. I want to tell you something. What could not be changed before the marriage probably will not be changed after the marriage. You may truly love that person, but it takes more than love to make a marriage last. There has to be a union of soul to soul. There has to be some common interests, common values, common beliefs, common uh, goals. There has to be that union of soul to soul. Finding the right person is finding somebody that you can connect with on that second level. But a true marriage will also be even deeper than that. A true marriage is a marriage where there is a union of spirit to spirit. A marriage of spirit to spirit. Adam and Eve had a union of body with body. That's undeniable from the text. They shared physical intimacy. Adam and Eve had a union of soul to soul. God created a partner for him. They had common interests, no doubt. But they also had a union of spirit to spirit. And here's what I mean by that. They shared the same God. They knew the same God. Now, that's very evident in chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Those three chapters make it clear that Adam and Eve knew the same God. They had a relationship with the same God. But it's it's somewhat emphasized for us in chapter 5. If you go to chapter 5, look at verses 1 and 2. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. And he, God, watch, read it carefully. He, God, created them, male and female, and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man or mankind. That's what that word means. He created male and female. He, he created them. They had a relationship with God. They had an intimacy with God. They both had that And that's obvious, of course, because he was their creator. Just so that you do not misunderstand, let me explain to you and try to put this as plainly and hopefully as graciously as I can. It's not enough to have a union that is physical or even a union that is soul to soul. There also needs to be a union that is spirit to spirit. You need to share the same God. You need to know the same God. And when you have a a marriage where you don't have that commonality, when you have a marriage where you're not uh, linked together like that, then ladies and gentlemen, you're setting yourself up for missing what God intended for you to have. I'll say it even more bluntly if I can. If you're not a Christian, I'm sorry, if you are a Christian, you should not marry someone who's not a Christian. 
I just want to be as plain as I can and hopefully gracious about that. You see, if you as a Christian marry a non-Christian, you can't expect to be one with that person in the most important aspect of your life. You can't expect to be one with that person in that area of your life where it's so crucial that you are intimate with them. Yes, you can be intimate with them on a physical level. Yes, you might be intimate with them on that social soul level, having common interests and so forth. But on that most important level, you cannot be intimate with them because you both don't know God. So what happens? What happens when you, when you as a Christian marry a non-Christian? I can show you what happens in both the Old and the New Testament. And it's interesting that in the Old and the New Testament, we sit again and again and again. In my own personal quiet time today, I was reading Ezra chapter 9 and 10, and it talks about this very issue. It talks about people intermarrying and, and not marrying within the faith. But let me give you one example. Look with me in, in, in the Old Testament in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 8. Second Chronicles chapter 8. Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11. Solomon was a man who had received many blessings from God. Solomon was a man who, who built the temple of God, and after it was built, he made a wrong decision that cost him dearly. And it was a decision about who he married. He began to marry foreign women and in violation of God's will. And he knew it was against God's will, yet he did it anyway. In Second Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, My wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the places the ark of the Lord has entered are holy. I don't have time to dig in that uh, fully, but Solomon knew that this Egyptian princess did not worship Jehovah God. He knew that his wife was not connected to him on that, on that third level. He knew that he would feel uncomfortable and guilty if she was in the palace and in the areas where the ark had been. So he built her another palace. He built her another house. He built her another home so that she could be separate from the other palace where the things of God had been. In other words, watch this, he knew in his heart it was wrong. He knew in his heart he was not marrying somebody that he could identify with on that third level. He knew in his heart that it was not the right thing for him to do, and yet he did it anyway in violation of God's will. So what happens when you marry someone who is not a believer? Here's the way we start. We start out saying, well, I'm going to marry him, I'm going to marry her, and I pray that they get saved. I'm going to marry him, and I'm going to marry her, and I hope that they'll come to faith in Christ. And that, if that is your situation, if you have married someone who's not a Christian, I'm not here to criticize you nor to condemn you. I'm here to speak to those who have not yet married. And I want you to understand something. If you marry someone who's not a Christian, you could spend years of your life trying to relate to them on a level of which they cannot relate. 
trying to relate to them, and they're not capable of relating to you on that level. And in many situations, they have no desire to relate to you on that level. Will they relate to you on the physical level? Yes. Will they relate to you soul to soul? Yes. Can they relate to you on the, on the level of spirit to spirit? No. They're not capable of it. Many times they have no desire to do so. You say, well, pastor, that's in the Old Testament. That's Old Testament stuff. I'm not sure that applies to us today. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14. Paul was pretty blunt when he wrote this. He was writing about marriage and so forth. And he says in verse 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Period. End of case. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Whenever somebody says, Pastor, will you marry us? I have young couples all the time. They call me, they email me, Pastor, will you marry us? Uh, My first thing that I ask them is this. First of all, will you come in to talk to me? And they, yes, yes, we'll come in and talk to you. When they sit down to talk to me, one of the very first questions I ask them is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior? very first thing I want to know is, is this young lady marrying a Christian? Is this young man marrying a Christian? And I'll say to you now, that if I ever find out that one is not a Christian, my first step is to try to present the gospel to them. That's the first thing I want to do. I want to make sure they understand the gospel, they hear the gospel, have a chance to respond to the gospel. But if they reject the gospel, then there have been times when I've had to say to that young lady or to that young man, I'm sorry, I cannot violate God's word and I cannot perform this ceremony. I had a a couple in, in North Carolina really got mad at me, very prominent family, really got mad at me over that and I'll never forget the anger in their voice because I would not marry their daughter to an unbeliever. I'm going to tell you something. I went back years later. They made a point to come up to me to tell me their daughter was still married to him. I didn't say a word except that's great. What I wanted to say was, yeah, but is she in church and is she serving the Lord? It's not enough just to still be married to him. You say, well, I'm still not convinced that that you're right on this. Well, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Again, Paul writing about marriage says in verse 39, A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. Now, first of all, that answers the question, I believe, that I asked earlier. Is there just one person made for you, or do we have some latitude? Here in this scripture, Paul says, listen, if your husband dies, you can marry anybody that you wish. There's some latitude there, except, here's the parameter. Verse 39. She is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. That's the one thing Paul says I will not compromise on. The one thing you cannot neglect. The one thing you can't, you can't ignore. You can marry anybody you want to so long as they belong to the Lord. Now, 
young people, listen to me. I'm glad that we've got some young people. In the, let, let me tell you something. The best way to make sure you don't struggle in this area is to, is to have a policy where you will not date a non-Christian. And that sounds hard to some people, and I understand that. I, I've said that to my daughter Kelly. I've said that to my daughter Lauren. I've said that to my son Jonathan. And here's the reason. If you start dating non-Christians, you never know who you're going to fall in love with. And once you fall in love, it's awful hard then to make the right decision, isn't it? So it's easier to draw the line back here. I'm not going to date a non-Christian than it is to draw the line up here after you've fallen in love with a non-Christian. So way back here, you have some parameters, you have some guidelines, and one of them is, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and in order to make sure that my life honors the Lord, I will not date a non-Christian. Just trying to be as practical as I can. Because I want to help you. You see, when you're looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, look for someone who you can share. Watch this. Look for someone that you can share your whole life with. Body to body, physical attraction. Soul to soul. You have common interest. But also spirit to spirit. You both have a relationship with God. Now, the last suggestion I have for you it's just kind of extra. The last suggestion that I have for you is this. If you're looking for the right person to marry, sometimes it's best to stop looking. If you're looking for the right person to marry, sometimes it's best to stop looking. Instead of focusing on finding that right person, it might be better for you to focus on being the right person. Andy Stanley is... Uh, tells this story. It's a true story. He said he, he met a young lady in his church and it was in a uh, kind of a classroom setting and she eventually told her story and many of you probably have heard this story but, but she was single and she was telling Andy that there was a time in her life where she kind of got away from the faith and she got away from, the, from what her parents wanted her to do and what her parents wanted her to be and she kind of became a wild child and a partier and all that kind of thing. Her mom uh, and her dad, they didn't like it, and they tried as best they could to give her counsel and to invite her and to make sure she was connected to God and to church. But, but she was going to kind of blaze her own path. Well, at a party, she met a guy, and he was like the perfect guy. I mean, he had the looks, he had, the great, he had a great job, he had a great personality, and get this, and he loved the Lord. He was absolutely committed to his faith. He was vocal about his faith. He was a genuine Christian and wasn't ashamed of it. He, he was just like the perfect guy that she was looking for. And so when she got home, she couldn't wait to tell her mom. And she told her mom all about the good looks. She told her mom about the job, about his great personality. And mom, this is the best part. He is a committed Christian. Mom, he didn't drink tonight. He didn't smoke anything. He didn't take anything. Mom, he, he was a man of, of great integrity. Mom, he is, he is a committed Christian. He's just the kind of guy I'm looking for. And her mom said, Sweetheart, you need to understand, a guy like that is not looking for a girl like you. And she crumbled to the floor. She crumbled to the floor in tears because she knew her mom was right. And she told Andy Stanley, she says, while I was laying on the floor in my tears, I decided I was going to make some changes. And Andy said, as only he can, and I'm quoting him here, he says, are you the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Now, some of you didn't get that, so let me say it again, all right? 
Are you the type of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Maybe you need to stop looking for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. Maybe you need to start focusing on being the right person. That the person you're looking for is looking for. And when you meet that young lady or that young man, mentally you have a checklist. Physical attraction? Oh yeah. Soul to soul? Do we match up? Spirit to spirit. Does he or she have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And when you hit those three checklists, then you can start thinking, I may have found the one I'm looking for. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for bringing people into our lives and especially when you have brought a spouse into our life. And I pray, God, that uh, we would have the relationships in our, in our marriages that would honor you and glorify you and a marriage that would be all that you intend it to be. Help us not to settle for something less than you designed. I pray for these young people, Father, that that are dating or considering dating and they're trying to decide, is he the right one? Is she the right one? May they, through the counsel of your word, find direction for the decisions they make. And Father, I pray for for that individual, that lady, that man that might be here today and in their heart, they know they married a non-Christian. I pray, Father, they'll not feel condemned But I pray that indeed you would work in and through their lives. They might bear witness to that husband or that wife. And we pray for that person's salvation. Thank you, Father, for your word, for how practical it is. Use it now to bring forth fruit. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.